said don't store up treasures on earth where moth or rust can destroy or thieves break in and steal. Let's be honest, the God of America can be stolen because it's material. I mean, let's just be honest. Our culture's overriding idol is money and people could steal your money, but we shouldn't worship a God who can be stolen by somebody. By today's standards, Jacob would probably be a multi-millionaire. He had a lot of livestock, which would have made him very wealthy. He didn't seem to spend a lot of time thinking about what he owned, though. Pastor Daniel is going to talk about prosperity and where it really comes from. You'll learn that Jacob seemed to have learned that lesson, which allowed God to entrust a vast amount of goods to his stewardship. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 30 as he continues his message, The Prosperity of Jacob. Jacob realized, listen, no matter what the deal was, God was going to bless me, no matter what was happening. And then he says, listen, I had a dream, and God spoke to me in the dream, told me what was going on, said, I am the God of Bethel. Interesting. Do you remember Bethel? When Jacob was fleeing from his brother Esau, he ended up with a rock pillow, and he received his vision. God is in this place, Bethel, the house of God. That's what it means in Hebrew. God said, I'm the God of Bethel. I am the God who met you on the way in, and now it's time for you to go home. Go home. And Rachel and Leah say, listen, we better go. And they say, listen, Laban has squandered all of our inheritance. He squandered it all. We have nothing less. Whatever God has said to you, do it. Now, brothers and sisters, listen. That is the way we should respond individually, and that is the way we should encourage one another. Whatever God has said to you, do it. Do it. I really believe that this is the simple phrase, whatever God has said to you, do it. That is the Christian life, right there, plain and simple. Whatever God has said to you, do it. I remember reading Oswald Chambers recently, and he, remember when Jesus was talking to Judas, and he said, what you do, do quickly? Oswald Chambers took that line and talked about Christian obedience and says, whatever God has called you to do, do it quickly. And I pray for us as a church, as individual believers, that whatever God has asked you to do, just go do it. Do what God is asking you to do. And trust God with the outcome. That simple reality that says, I feel God leading me in this direction. I'm just going to follow this. Whatever God has told you to do, do it. And hey, listen, this is a great way for families to function as well. Husbands and wives. So often, God is calling a family to something, but, you know, listen, in a good family, the husband and wife need to get on the same page. It's called unity in the spirit. But so often, the disunity among husbands and wives have nothing to do with the spirit. It has to do with God is calling and someone is just not willing to say, Lord, what's your will for our family? 
We hunker down. And I'm not judging anybody. I know this very well. Lynn and I are traveling the path just like everybody else. I don't know how many times God has laid something on one of our hearts and we're like, you hunker down. You're like, I don't even want to say, Lord, your will be done because I, that puts me under responsibility. But would to God that as children of his, that we would be willing to exhort one another, whatever God's called you to do, go do it. Go do it. God is the captain of his own army. And he wants all of us to be part of that fight. Historically, the church has been called the church militant. Now, of course, you use military language, especially in a day and age like we live in. That's a kind of a negative thing because there's a lot of wars going on. And we have lots of young men and women who are getting hurt overseas and things like that. But the reality is, is that the idea of being an army, which means there is a battle that's raging, and it's a battle of for souls of people, and nobody in the military is just hanging out. Right? Everybody has a function, a job, something that they need to add to the battle in order to be successful. And there's no such thing as a pew-sitter in Christianity. There's no such thing as, I'm in the audience. I'm on the sidelines. No, no, no. Each one of us are running the race. It's just a matter if we realize it or not. Some of us, right now, right now, you're on the track, and you're standing next to the block, but you're not even ready to run. You haven't realized that, listen, you're not there as a spectator. Christianity is not a spectator sport. And each one of us has things that God has before us, things that he wants us to do. And I want to encourage each one of us, whatever God is asking you to do, just do it. Just do it. I remember for me when I first heard God say, Daniel, I want you to do something. I was naive enough just to say, okay. I was playing music professionally. I was in a band. We were on the road. We had albums out. My whole career was taken off. And I was like, look, I want you to preach my word. I'm like, okay. You know, so me being a good educated kid, I'm like, I'll go to Bible college. And I got my Bible college applications and seminary. Not that they would have ever accepted me. You know what I mean? At least at that point, there's no way I was getting into a Bible college. You know, and I remember starting to fill these out. And the Lord be like, no, 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 I want you to throw those out. I want you to use you right now. And I'm just like, okay. And that was my response. Okay. And I got taken on staff at the church three weeks later. Could never have gotten into seminary, but I got a job at the church. Go figure, you know. But the reality is, is that simple. I don't say that to pat myself on the back because God's used me despite me the whole way. But just that simple naivety to say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And sure, God is going to ask you to do things that are over your head. You know why he does that? Because he just wants to do it. He just wants you to hang out and watch. I always think of Teresa of Calcutta. Mother Teresa said, you know, I know that they say God will never give you more than we can handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. <laughs> you know, and it's a cute saying, but the reality is, is God doesn't trust her. He trusts himself. And he's just looking for a vessel to pour through. I've always heard it said this way. God's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. God's looking for someone who's looking for a job. But for so many of us, we're not available. You know, like Moses, God calls, like, not me, Lord. I can't do this. I can't do that. What about this? What about that? We have, like, the whole, Lord, let's work it out. Rather than just being like, okay, Lord. Could you imagine what it would have been like for Moses? I mean, remember, Moses didn't want to go. And so God had to send Aaron, and that went real well, right? 
Aaron, who made the golden calf for everybody to dance around. It's a great job, bro. But can you imagine if God in the burning bush just said, Moses, let's go. Moses was like, okay, let's go. This verse really grabbed me as I was studying it. Because Leah and Rachel are like, whatever God's telling you to do, let's go do that. Let's get in step with God, even though, I mean, obviously it's going to be uncomfortable for these gals. They're leaving the only life that they've ever known, but they're trusting God and they're saying, look, let's do this. If that's what God wants, let's roll that way. And I pray that we all find that place with God, that we can trust him to do exceedingly abundant beyond anything we can imagine by simply stepping out, saying, Lord, I will do it. Now, verse 17, then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he carried away his acquired livestock, which he had gained in Padanaram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river, headed towards the mountains of Gilead. So Jacob simply just bolts. He sees Laban goes to shear his sheep, and Jacob's like, I'm out of here. And we get this kind of curious note that Rachel goes in and steals the household idols. In the Hebrew, it's the teraphim, which is, you know, just uh, like, we don't know exactly what the teraphim were, and people argue about, are they some sort of Canaanite deity or this type of deity? But it was some sort of a household god. They, they worship pagan gods there, and so she grabs these things. Now, we're going to see in a second that Rachel is going to be able to hide them by sitting on a saddle. And I'll, I'll get to that. I'll make an application for you because you do not want to worship a God who you can sit on and hide. I told you I was going to wait for that one. I just don't want to, that one had to come out right then. But seriously, don't worship a God who you can sit on and hide. That's not a God you want to worship. That's what we learned from that. But she steals them and they take off when Laban doesn't know. They just leave. Now, in verse 22 keeps going. Then Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. And he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days journey. And he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob has pitched his tent in the mountains and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp, and you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly. In so doing, it is within my power to do harm. But God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? So think about this. Jacob leaves. Three days later, Laban hears about it and goes after him. So Jacob had a three days head start, but he's traveling with four wives and 12 kids. And I don't know about you all, but those of you with little kids, you know you don't get anywhere fast with little kids. I love my kids to death. They're so cute. But it's amazing. You go on a road trip when you're a single guy, and you can get anywhere in top speed. 
And everything takes about 45% longer when you got little kids. Because you know what it's like when you got kids. You're like, I got to go to the bathroom. You know, and so you stop, you go to the bathroom. Anyone else need to go? No, no, we're good. And then they go five miles. I got to go to the bathroom. Laban catches up very, very quickly. Four days later on a three-day head start, Laban's there. But God shows up and God speaks to Laban and says, listen, don't mess with Jacob. Don't mess with Jacob. So we find out that Laban comes to Jacob when the two companies meet and Laban starts doing his whole song and dance. Saying, why did you leave in the night? Why did you leave like you were taking my daughter's captive? I would have thrown you a party. You know, you see this, right? I mean, he's just lying through his teeth. He wasn't throwing anyone a party. But he was trying to save some face here. Trying to say, you did wrong, Jacob. It wasn't right what you did. And what's interesting is that he says to him, he's like, look. He says, I would have, you could have gone. Obviously, you want to go back home. You miss your family. But why'd you steal my gods? That's where it ends. Now, again, again, I'll make another application. I pray that you guys aren't worshiping a god that someone can steal. Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth where moth or rust can destroy or thieves break in and steal. Let's be honest. The God of America can be stolen because it's material. I mean, let's just be honest. Our culture's overriding idol is money. And people can steal your money. But we shouldn't worship a God who can be stolen by somebody. You know, you read some of the biographies of someone like Richard Warmbrand who was tortured for Christ. You know, and they have nothing, but they have everything. Because they could take away everything, but God is still God. We got to make sure that we're not worshiping a God that can be stolen. So Jacob responds to this line of questioning in verse 31. Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid. For I said, perhaps you will take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live in the presence of our brethren. Identify what I have of yours and take it now. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Jacob responds and says, in effect, look, I was afraid that you were going to get violent because I wanted to leave. That's why I left when you weren't ready. I didn't tell you. And listen, whoever you find your idols with, you can kill them. This is what you call a rash oath. That's what it is. You know, we got to be careful to make rash oaths. He didn't realize what Rachel had done, but he said, look, whoever took them, you can kill them. So this continues, verse 33. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now, Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in a camel's saddle, and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord, but I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but he did not find the household idols. So he starts in Jacob's tent. He goes to Leah, the maid's tents, looking for these household idols. Can't find them. Goes into Rachel's tent. Rachel's got the idols under a camel saddle. She doesn't get up because she knows the idols are underneath. And she said, listen, please don't let it displease you, but I have my um, 
in modern terms, it's that time of the month. That's what it means, the manner of all women. It's that time of the month, and so I'm not going to get up. Now, I know that's weird. It's culture. We're going to talk about that more as you look at the impurity that comes from a woman in her menstrual cycle because the life is in the blood. I'll just throw that out there now. We can talk about that when we get to it in the law. It's very fascinating. The reason it's, oh, I just want to go there so bad because it's floated it out there. But the reason it's considered impure is not because there's anything wrong with a woman, but every time a woman has her cycle, that's a potential for life. And in a sense, God mourns a potential that wasn't fulfilled. It's part of the way God loves life. Does that mean that a woman needs to have a child every month? Some people make that case and they have, you know, 97 children. And if that's what God calls you to, amen. But the reality is, is God sees the potential. That's why the life is in the blood. And there's all these different reasons why. And we'll see some of that more. Leviticus 17 and 19, we'll get there in about seven or eight years, probably at this rate. And I know all of you just can't wait. <laughs> but ultimately, Rachel doesn't get up. Laban doesn't find anything. In verse 36, and Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is this trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although I have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren that they may judge between us both. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was in the day the drought consumed me and the frost by night. My sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Wow. You almost get the sense here that Jacob's got some pent-up stuff going on here. You know, it's like, it's 20 years now. And now he's like, what did I do wrong? And he's got a long, and that's why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. What that means is don't let things build up. Deal with them as they come. I always tell couples I do premarital. I'm like, listen, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Do you know what happens when you go to bed mad? You wake up more mad. Because you had all night to stew about it, Right? So keep short accounts with each other. But Jacob's got it all built up here. He's ticked off. He is. All these things you've done wrong. I've served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flocks. You've changed my wages. Now you're accusing me of this. What is this mess? And then he says, and listen, and the only reason you're being nice to me right now is because God spoke to you last night. He's upset. So look what happens in verse 43. It says this, and Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. And this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day? For these my daughters and to their children whom they have borne. Now therefore come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And there they ate there on the heap. And Laban called it Jagir. Shahadutha, and Jacob called it 
Galid, and Galid means the heap of witness. So Laban says it in Aramaic, um, Jacob says it in Hebrew, meaning the exact same thing. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galid. Also, Mizpah, because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. If you afflict my daughters, if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, here is the heap, and here is this pillar, which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father, Jacob. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his sons and daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. So you see what happens now? They're at an impasse. And Laban says, look, all these offspring are mine. They're my daughters. All these flocks are mine. But listen, we're going to make a covenant. We're going to make a covenant of peace. There was hostility. Now there's going to be a peace. And the covenant is truly two things. One, please take care of my daughters. Don't take any other wives. And two, it's a boundary marker. I can't come over this boundary to do harm by you. You can't come over it to do harm by me. And if you really think about this, the Bible is all about the covenant that God makes with humanity through Jesus, where God takes two parties, him and humanity, who are at enmity with one another, and through the finished work of Jesus, brings them back together. And that's exactly what's happening here. Laban and Jacob are at enmity with one another. They are in opposite camps, and this covenant brings them together. And notice that this covenant involves celebration. They eat together. They spend time together. And that's a lost art form in modern-day evangelicalism. I think sometimes we think that if we're having fun, then obviously we must not be doing it God's way. I think we really want to seek God about restoring holy celebration to the way we live. It seems like we only celebrate around Easter time, which we should because that's when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But guess what? Jesus is resurrected all the time. We live in an age of resurrection. We get to practice the resurrection inspired by the Spirit every single day. And would to God that we celebrate the covenant that God made for us in Jesus, where we who were his enemies, he made part of his family. That's what covenant is all about. And that's what the Bible is all about. It's about God's covenant, bringing hostile parties back into unity. Amen? Pastor Daniel's teaching illustrated that while the Bible doesn't always explicitly talk about when people do things against God's design, he does show the consequences of going against his plan. You got to see why polygamy is a bad idea through the conflict between Leah and Rachel. And it's easy to carry the concept over into other areas of life. Doing things God's way will save you lots of headaches in the long run. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy. 
And the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at jesusisrealradio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share from his teaching, The Reunion. As Jacob has departed from Laban and is heading back to Canaan, the land of his birth, he gets news that terrifies him. His brother Esau is coming to meet him. You'll hear as Jacob tries to figure out what to do and God's injection of wisdom to Jacob. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Patriarchs. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.